Hey everyone, and welcome to the All It Takes is a Goal podcast, the best place in the entire world, including all of Canada, to learn how to build new thoughts, new actions, and new results. I'm your host, John Acuff, and today I'm joined by Tim Schur. Who's that? I'm so glad you asked. Tim Schur, and I want to put like 11 R's in his name. I want to be like, Tim was the right-hand man to Donald Miller for almost a decade as COO of StoryBrand. During his time working at StoryBrand, as well as at Tom Shoes and at Apple under Steve Jobs, he discovered a secret society of people who taught him a new way to define success that's counter to what culture is selling. For most people, success is within their grasp. They've just been looking at it the wrong way in all the wrong places. Tim is on a mission to give them a map because everyone deserves a life and career they love. Tim lives in Nashville, Tennessee with his wife, Katie, and their two kids. And we've been friends for like 12 years now. Um, He was one of the first people I met when Jenny and I moved to Nashville. So it's always super fun when one of my friends writes a great book and is willing to come on the podcast. We had lunch a couple of months ago and talked about this new career direction he's doing. So I think anyone who's like, ooh, I got something I want to do a little differently. There's something I want to change. I think you're going to really love how Tim lays out. Is it lays out or lies out? I always get that wrong. And it makes me sound like I I don't know how to write books, but I do, even though I get that wrong. Lies, lays. Oh, that's embarrassing. But I love how he positions, shares, details, how he decided to make a big job jump because he was very deliberate about it. I think you're going to love this episode. But first, a quick message about the sponsor of today's episode. Today's sponsor is me. I've been really surprised at how many people who listen to this podcast have reached out to me about having me speak at their events. I love that. And here's why. Over the last 13 years, I've had the honor to help hundreds of companies like Nissan, Walmart, Microsoft, and Comedy Central at events around the world. And during that time, I've developed three big goals for your event. Number one, I want to slingshot your audience into the best year they've ever had. Whether I'm opening, closing, or somewhere in the middle of the event, I want to launch everyone out of that room with actionable, memorable things that they can apply to their work and lives immediately. Number two, my second goal, I want the sound team engaged and laughing. The sound team has heard it all. They have. And if I can make them laugh and learn along the way, the audience is going to absolutely love the keynote. And number three, my third goal, I want you to get text messages during the keynote. My favorite sentence to hear from you after I speak is, John, my phone was blowing up during your keynote. I'm there to make you look like a rock star, not me. If your boss texts you during my speech and compliments you on how well the event is going, then I know I've done my job. Whether it's virtual or live, 10,000 people in an arena or 15 sales team members on WebEx or Zoom or, or Microsoft Teams, I'd love to help you with your next event. Fill out the quick form at acuff.me slash speaking to check my availability. That's acuff, A-C-U-F-F dot M-E slash speaking. All right, let's jump right into my interview with Tim Schur. Tim, I'm so glad you joined me here today. It's always fun um, to have somebody on the podcast who I've known for a few years and who's been a friend. So uh, thanks for joining us. Man, I'm so, I'm so pumped. I'm like already laughing and smiling. Just how excited I am to 
Oh, talking good. about all this. Good. Well, and we had lunch. Maybe has it been like three months now? Like, was it yeah. before Christmas or after Christmas? I think it was. It was at least three for sure. Okay, I have no sense of time with COVID right now. It's really messed up. I I don't remember what was a year ago or what was like three years ago. But you were on the start of a big adventure, which this book is part of. Like this part, I, I feel like this book is like the foundation of the next phase of your life. Is that fair to say? Absolutely. Yeah, I, I never imagined I'd write a book and it launched me into a new career. But, you know, I worked with Donald Miller for almost a decade and yeah. just thought I was going to do that forever. I'm working in a dream job. But the closer I got to releasing this book, I started realizing, man, if I'm going to do this really well. And I don't like doing anything halfway. So if I'm going to yeah. go in, I'm going to go all in. And I didn't want me releasing the book to in any way suffer because I believed in the content so much, but yep. also had a big job. I didn't want that to suffer. And so here we go. I launched into this new thing. And, and this book really was the foundation, the thing that allowed me to even consider stepping into something new. What would you say for somebody listening and, and they've kind of got that, like, I might need to go all in. Like, cause you just recently went all in, as you said, what are some of the kind of check boxes that you looked at? So it's, you know, take us back. It's six months, a year ago, whenever, cause you're right. Like the job is amazing. Donald Miller's amazing. The organization right. is amazing. Um, it's easy to leave a bad job. It's hard to leave a great job. What were some yeah. of the kind of the checklist, the pilot's checklist you went through before you're like, okay, this, this bird's ready to fly. Yeah. I wrote the book because I went to a Bob Goff event called Dream yep. Big. And yep. at the, that event, they go around at the end of the two days and they ask everybody, what's your big dream? And I said, I want to write a book. And I said that out loud for the first time. Did you know that going in or was it a surprise? I'd never really been asked that question. Okay. It came out pretty fluidly. I knew that. I knew yeah. it. And so it was about five years from me saying that out loud till now. So just small little baby steps, putting a little something on the plot along the way. But, you know, I ended up getting a book deal, which started to make this a little more serious. But up until three months before the book came out, I didn't even know that I was going to leave my job. It never was intended to be a career shifting moment. And so kind of some of those stages, as I got closer and closer to it, I realized, I want to do this well. And working alongside Don, I knew, at least on the marketing side, what it looks like to launch a book well. Yeah. So I knew that. And so I knew, okay, Tim, the author, has no platform. Uh, I've never really stood on stages. I didn't have a podcast. My social following is zero, pretty much. And so I knew that there are some of those things that if I'm going to be an author and actually make a career out of it, I needed to start to build those things. And so I get closer and closer and some of the checkboxes for me, just when it comes to paying your mortgage, there's a financial element to it. Sure. So I start mapping out, okay, if I'm going to make this a thing, what needs to be true six months from now that maybe is not true today? Yeah. If my job, my salary goes away, then I need to make money somehow. Well, how am I going to do that? And so I started crafting up, okay, I have a little bit of money that's coming in from a book advance, but I know that I may or may not make money off of a book. So I'm almost going to anticipate zero money when it comes to books sold. If somebody says, I want to make quick, fast money, I'm going to write a book. Is it? That's a stupid sentence. That is not, not how it, it goes, dude. So I, I want to write books. I want to have my own podcast and, and I want to speak. And so I started looking at it through, okay, 
how much is realistic to make as a new speaker and how can I actually get on stages to the point to where I would be able to be paid? So that was the beginning. So I'm also looking at my life and trying to say, okay, based on where I'm at, having a four-year-old and a two-year-old, how much do I want to be gone right now? Like, yep. What is realistic in some of that? What is success? What does a win look like for my family now? So I start mapping out, okay, if I can speak once a month, okay, yep. well, there's, I'm, it's a math equation. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, based on how much money I need or want to make for my family, based on a particular you know, lifestyle, okay, if there's a gap between that and something else, okay, how else can I make money? What can I yeah. add to this? Yeah. And so I started thinking, well, I have lived in the content and media space for so long. That's so much of what I love and I'm passionate about. I get a lot of joy. Mm -hmm. And so I have a consulting thing with a, a podcast and I help them out and, and work on that podcast. So I started to just map some of these things out and I just thought, okay, if I can speak, if I can you know, get a consulting gig, uh, that at least would set me up in a place where I could transition out. And then I make the decision um, with a little bit of comfort in Don, actually, as I started talking to him about what I was wanting to do with the book and, and everything, he, he told me, you know, you've helped make my dream come true. I want to do everything that I can to make yours come true. That so, is not the response of most bosses. Like you, no. I just need to kind of like level set. Yes. That's Crazy. Not, yeah. Crazy. A lot of times when you go, Hey, there's a thing I'm thinking about doing and go, how about you think about that in the parking lot? Get your boxes. You're out of here. That's and, and not awesome. only this, he he's paying me for six months. I leave and he's paying me for six Amazing. months to help Amazing. me launch. So now, you know, when I was thinking about it, I had my savings and I'm like, okay, I got about a six month runway, which yep. is going to be pretty tight. Yeah. But Dude, now six months you, goes fast. It does. But now you've got Don saying, hey, I'm yeah. going to pay you for six months. Now, all of a sudden, my runway to actually make money is a year. Yeah. And so I'm able to step into the decision without having to make money on day one on a platform that I've not built, not established, yeah. none of that, and got to really step into launching the book well and starting to set up the business, build the products that I want to build. I was able to start figuring out who is that consulting you know, relationship going to be? What's that all going to look like? And so now here I am a couple months in and, and some of these key things are really coming together and I'm starting to now step into this new rhythm. Uh, but it was, it's a very different life than I was living three months ago. Um, yeah. But I'm, I, I really am grateful for kind of how it's all coming together. And what is the next six to 12 months gonna look like? I have no idea. But one, one mm -hmm. thing that I learned in my time at Apple, Steve Jobs talked about, you know, the joy is in the journey. Mm -hmm. And sometimes when you're in the struggle, you look at something like that and just roll your eyes. Like, easy for you to say, Steve, right? Yeah, yeah you get all the turtlenecks you want. You're just sitting on a pile of turtlenecks. Yeah. But, but I'm trying to lean into that. Yeah. Like, the joy is in the journey. How can I just enjoy this thing and me stepping into life as an author and a speaker, having never done this before, but trying to enjoy that and, and just navigate every step along the way and just kind of take it in stride? There's so many things I love about that story, but one of the things for me is that because I know you and we've known each other, it might be 10 years now because I met you before you started working yes. for Don. I met you yeah. via Al Andrews, our mutual friend, Yeah, is that I've been able to see you help him grow what he grew. Like he was an author 
that had an idea for a business and is a genius, one of the smartest people I've ever met, but you were the right-hand man that was like, okay, we can figure this out. And so I watched you do that for 10 years because at least in my circles as an author, speaker, whatever, people would say, hey, how is Donald Miller killing it like that? And we'd often go, we got to find a Tim. Like I need to find my own Tim. And like that was something we said. So I don't want to rush past the idea that you invested for 10 years and part of that investment led to Donald saying, hey, dude, like I'm on board. It wasn't that you were there six months and then you were like, hey, I'd like to do this. And he was like, let's go. There was a yeah. lot of work. And I also, so help me understand, you go to this Bob Goff event um, to dream big. Yeah. Do you go with the idea of I want to do something different or do you go with the idea of I like to get better? Let me go see if this makes me better. Well, Bob came to us and Don and I sat down and helped him create this mm -hmm. dream big framework. Yep. And so I went more as just uh, to get to see the work yeah. in action. So they put together this framework, they put together a workshop. So I would go to the first ever one to see people interacting with this thing that we kind of helped build together. Um, and so it, it was, that was it. I was just going to have some fun, but. And you ended up benefiting from it. Oh yeah, absolutely. And, and, and you got a guy like Bob too. I don't take this for granted that after I'm asked that question, I say, I want to write a book. Bob now starts texting me and calling me, asking me for updates on this dream. <laughs> yeah. How's the book coming? Yeah. Right. So yeah. there's positive encouragement yeah. to keep moving. And I just kept chipping away at it. There's something that Don talks about in writing books. It's put a little something on the plot. And I yep. see you doing that all the time with how you track your goals. Even right now, you're counting hours towards your next book. Yeah. That's putting something on the plot every day. So I tried to do that same thing, not mm -hmm. stress myself out about how much, giving myself a lot of grace because I have a growing family. I had a job. This is just like a side thing just, that I'm just yeah. doing for fun. But I, I knew and believed in it. I felt it. I'm, I just felt mm -hmm. like it was meaningful. So I wanted to make sacrifices to be able to keep moving forward. So that was just the journey too, is, is taking little steps and having friends to push and encourage me along the way. And it was just the wind at my back that I, I really needed. Well, and I think that when you have something you believe in, the sacrifices, they're still sacrifices, but they're easier. Like, it's not that I'm being really disciplined to not watch as much TV. It's that I have doper stuff I'd rather do. I'm like, oh my gosh, like I can't spend enough time doing this other thing I love. It's not that I decided to become disciplined. It's that I believe in this thing I'm creating. I want to feed that more hours, more hours, more hours, not something that isn't feeding me anything back. And so yeah. for me, as soon as I have that, I, I can catch the vision. I think what's interesting too is that there is a sense of being deliberate where you did look at the reality of it. I, I often tell people that like dreams, most, most dreams, most goals are optimistic lies because they're not tied to any degree of reality. But you said, hey, okay, X amount of dollars a month. This is what I need. And so I love that you plotted that out, even as you had this huge new dream, because like a Bob Goff dream workshop is very dreamy. Like it's, but yeah. you can't be around Bob and not want to do something amazing. But there's also that practical side where you sat down and said, okay, here's what it's going to cost to do that. In order to have this new kind of experience as an author, writer, speaker, it ties into the book with your idea of like, how do you define success for yourself? Mm -hmm. So if I'm listening to this right now and I'm like, okay, I want to do something different. The title of the book is The Secret Society of Success. 
how do I define success for myself? Yeah. So um, there's a story that I love, and I think will kind of kick us off in this direction. And you know, a lot of people are familiar with Apollo 11. You've got mm-hmm. Neil Armstrong, Buzz Aldrin, one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. But what a lot of people don't know, there's actually a third astronaut on that mission, and his name was Michael Collins. So here you've got Michael Collins, the guy Ubers, Neil and Buzz to the moon, uh, drops a, them off. <laughs> this is a crazy phrase. I've never even heard that person's name. So he drops them off. They then do all these various tasks. Uh, he then, back in the command module, orbits the moon something like 26 times until he gets that text saying, come back and pick us up. Uh-huh. Right, then grabs them. And they all head back to Earth. And what would make this a pretty miserable story is if Michael gets back, sits down with the press, and would say something like, well, it sure would have been nice to actually walk on the moon. (laughs) You know, acted like a victim, tried to take the spotlight from the mission as a whole. But what's beautiful is that's not at all what happened. Instead, he sits down with the press and talks about how content he was to have had one of those three seats. So why is it that to be successful... We feel like we have to climb the ladder, step into the spotlight, be the boss, chase whatever version of success that's been dangled in front of us. Because I, I feel like at a time in my life, I did that. I wanted to be actually the next John Mayer. In college, I started writing songs. I was going to be the next John Mayer. Yeah, that's so great, dude. <laughs> Spoiler alert, I did not become the next John Mayer. And you even live in Nashville. Like you, I mean, you live in the right city. I moved to Nashville. Wait, was the move a musical move? <laughs> it was. I moved to go to Belmont because I wanted to be a singer-songwriter. Okay. I did. Yeah, I don't think I even knew that. That's funny. But what's interesting is what I wanted was, and I don't know if I had the language for this then, but I wanted to do something that mattered. I wanted to live a meaningful, purposeful life and, and use whatever gifts and skills that I had to make that happen. But what's interesting is I don't end up doing that. I don't do music as a profession. And in fact, I start working alongside other people and helping them win, helping their dreams come into reality. And so that started working alongside Steve Mokler. I started working with Al Andrews on a book project that he had called Improbable Philanthropy. Mm -hmm. And that ultimately led me to working with Dawn, which I did for 10 years. So as we think about success, as we think about how we can orient and shape our lives around this idea, I no longer view success as only stepping into the spot. It's not fame, money, power. I just don't really define success that way. I'm actually starting to look at it through the lens more like the Michael Collins story, which is what if being content with the seat that I have is success? What if success is helping somebody else win? And that's just a message that I just don't think is getting much attention. But for so many of us, I feel like maybe there's a part of us that is resonating with, wait, so I don't have to chase? I I can do the role that I'm doing right now? It's like, you can. And maybe that's actually what winning looks like for you. I I think part of the the challenge is that, you know, when you see stats like 50% of teenagers want to be a famous YouTuber, like mathematically, yeah. that's impossible. Like yeah. one of two people can't be famous, like one of a million, like one yeah. of, it's not going to last forever. And I, I think too, for me, I always talk to people about there's amazing dream jobs within big corporations. Like mm-hmm. I know so many people that have pushed back against that idea that you have to escape something, you have to leave something, but going like, 
how do I make this moment amazing? And how do I give and how do I serve? So do you think part of why that happens is culturally we've bought into this idea that the ultimate expression of success um, is public success or public fame or, you know, it's, it's some sort of ideal that way? I think everybody is chasing the thing because we're told that that's the thing we're supposed to chase. Success mm-hmm. looks like you have the biggest house, you have a nice car, your kids go to whatever private school. You know, that it almost has been propped up so much so that when we're sitting down and trying to figure out how we want to live, it, these are the models that we model after. Mm-hmm. You know, the, these are the, the examples that we have that we're stepping towards. And I don't think it's until somebody else gives us another picture of success that we can chase instead that uh, people will start to live any differently. And, you know, you've had, you, know, you have a relationship with Dave Hollis, and I heard him mm-hmm. talking about this idea of integrity. And when a lot of people hear integrity, they think of someone having good morals, good values. But, you know, Dave talks about the, the other definition, which is internal consistency. Mm-hmm. So I think we're living in intention with the person that we want to become deep down when we actually are reflecting on our lives and thinking about the kind of impact that we really want to make, when we actually take the time to, to, to find success. If I were to have you fill in the blank, success is, I just don't meet very many people that write, make a lot of money. But mm-hmm. so many of us orient our lives as though that's our answer. And so what Dave would say, this whole, we're not living in integrity with that, mm-hmm. right? How we're living and how we want to live are just different. So I think it takes stories, models, inspiration for people who are defining success and living differently that show us that there is another path to follow than fame, money, and power being the only markers of success. Who's someone in the book, because there's a lot of great examples in the book, that you feel like really models that, that maybe the average person has never heard of, but if you peel the layers back on the story, this person's got an amazing impact. It's just not defined by public attention. So I'm going to tell you this one, and this one is a a person that a lot of people know, because I think it's important to note here that... If it's Steve Jobs, we've already referenced him once, and so (laughs) it needs to be somebody different. It can't be like, there's this guy you've never heard of named Steve Jobs. He hated the spotlight. (laughs) So it's not Steve Jobs. It's the guy that was in his shadow, Tim Cook. Yeah, it's a deep shadow, deep shadow. So Tim's now the CEO of Apple, but before that, he was COO under Steve Jobs. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, after Steve Jobs passes, the person who had been groomed to take over is Tim Cook. So we're at the release of the Apple Watch, and it's a pretty big moment for Tim and Apple, because this is the first new product in a new category that had been released since Steve had passed. And so he's being interviewed on national television, and David Muir asks him, is this the moment for you, the moment of your career at Apple? And just think about how you would respond if you're Tim in that moment. Here you'd been operating under the radar for several decades. Mm -hmm. You'd probably want to use it as an opportunity to let everybody know you're the man for the job. You have what it takes. Like revel in that spotlight. Just take a little bit of the credit. But when asked, is this the moment for you, the moment of your career at Apple, Tim says, well, it's a moment for Apple. I don't really think about myself that much. 
And that for me tells me everything that I need to know about how he shows up as a leader. Because he's, you know, what I call just, it's humble confidence. He's mm-hmm. confident enough in his contribution that he doesn't have to remind everybody about it. Which is refreshing, which is super refreshing. Isn't that great? But he's also humble enough to know that he didn't create this thing on his own. No, it wasn't like, and he wasn't in the garage with Woes or whatever his name was, Waz, and like whipping this watch up. It's not like he came out of a lab and was like, guys, you're going to love this thing. <laughs> and and it actually, this response reminds me of this plaque that sat on Ronald Reagan's desk and actually got a replica of the same thing so they could sit on my desk. And it says this, there is no limit to what a man can do or where he can go if he doesn't mind who gets the credit. And so many of us just don't live that way. You know, we t- I talk about in the book, we're, we're up against what I call the spotlight mindset, this unhealthy desire for attention and recognition. We want the credit, but it comes from a good place. I think we just want to know that we matter. You know, if we don't show up at work, I think we just want people to feel it. And, mm-hmm. and there's just a part of being human, but I don't think that demanding credit or demanding recognition actually is us at our best. I think we're at our best when we're thinking of other things, when we're thinking of how can I help somebody else win? How can I, you know, serve or, you know, really just lock arms to make this thing better, whatever seat that you find yourself in, like a Michael Collins. But it's just not the example that too many of us are, uh, are given. But, but these are the kinds of stories, the Tim Cook response, the, the plaque on Ronald Reagan's desk, like this is the direction that I want to head as I go you know, through my life and career. Yeah, I, I, I love that. I think for me, I'm at my healthiest when like my mission is I want to help millions of people enjoy their gifts. Like that's what it all comes down to. Millions of people enjoy their gifts. And I'm at my healthiest when if I get famous for that, it's a consequence of the work I'm doing to serve people. Yes. It's not the cause. The times when it's unhealthy is when I'm making the fame the cause of why I'm doing something. The yes. time when it's healthy is for me to impact millions. Yeah, I'm going to have a podcast. I'm going to try to grow it like crazy. I'm going to write a bunch of books. I'm going to step on bigger stages, whatever. And if a consequence is I get well known, that's fine, but it's not the cause. The cause yeah. is how do I help millions of people? enjoy their gifts. And so for me, the cause versus consequence is always the times when I'm chasing it as a cause, not healthy, ego-driven, insecurity, trying to prove that I have value with my ideas, whatever. The times I'm, it's a consequence. It's I'm so busy serving people. I don't notice that the thing's going really well. And I go, oh, that's amazing. Like, that's really fun. That's the difference for me. Like the two sides of the coin, as I think about the work you and I get to do. And I think another word that you can use in that is, what is your intention behind the thing that you're doing? And I love your intention in doing all of this and growing the platform and hosting the podcast and all that is to help other people win. And and again, if you become known for that, fantastic. What a great thing. Yeah, I like enjoy that. It's fun. I have, I love when people come up to me and say, Hey, this thing helped my life. Like that's encouraging. Who wouldn't, you're a liar. If you are not encouraged by that random person gives you a compliment, like you're in the airport and somebody goes, Hey, that really changed my life. Awesome. Like that's what a fun consequence. Again, if I chase it for that reason, that's when I'm like in la la land and 
I'm just off the deep end. So I, I, yeah. I think that's what's interesting to me is you've been around a lot of very successful people. What, what have you learned about the people behind the scenes? There's other Tim's because you try, you know, traveling with Don, there's other people you bumped in and bump into that have really figured out this is how I define success. And it can be Becca Stevens, you know, like who we yeah. both love. But what, what are other things you've learned from other Tims that are in that role going, I'm content and I'm doing the stuff yeah. I love and I'm content? When Don released a book a few years ago called Scary Close, and after you know this, but week and a half or so after the book comes out, that's when you find out if you make a particular list or not. Yeah. Right. So it's clearly a goal. I think to hit a list is a, it can be a big deal. Mm-hmm. So Don gets off the phone with the publisher, lifts his arms in the air and says, we hit number five on the New York Times. Like he was so excited. Yeah. We were high five and hugging and something really beautiful happened. And a few minutes after that, we all went back to work. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and I think some people would hear me talk about that and say that we were dysfunctional in some way, that we didn't know how to celebrate. But you know, you're asking about what are some of the people behind the scenes? What's that look like? Well, what it looked like in the culture that I wanted to create, that we created in the company was people who were content doing the work, whether or not we ever got an accolade. Because if that's how you show up, if you fall in love with the work itself, some really beautiful yeah. things can happen. And a guy that I just love that's also now been growing his influence and platform is Jesse Cole of the Savannah Bananas. Oh, yeah. So yeah, he's people amazing. People don't know about the Savannah Bananas. Holy smokes. Yeah, he's amazing. But Jesse, they had a very clear goal in their company. They wanted to think of the fans first and entertain them because he thought that baseball is a little too long, a little too slow, and a little too boring. And so they just wanted to create an incredible fan experience. And so everything that they did was focused around that and under that umbrella. So much to where they have players coming to the plate on stilts. Okay. (laughs) So great. (laughs) They They have a break dancing first base coach. They have scratch and sniff tickets. They have the ticket takers wearing banana costumes. They have a marching band inside of the stadium, welcoming you into the park. I I can go on and on, but what that looks like is their obsession around doing the work, falling in love with the work. And as a result, what has happened has been all of these uh, sellout seasons. They've sold out how many numbers of games in a row? I I can't even tell you, but a bunch. And they sell 4,000 tickets a game but they're not even anywhere close to the major leagues. They're like nine levels below the majors. Why are they selling 4,000 seats? Because they just have fallen in love with the work and it's, there's this attraction to that. So whether you're running a business or whether you're um, somebody in a supporting role, I think that for all of us, if we can learn to fall in love with the work and not care so much about how that sets you up for that next promotion or that next raise or how many customers you're going to get because of it. I just think that that is a better place. And people behind the scenes, people I've been really inspired by, the team that I was a part of included, that's just how we show up. How do you, so I'm listening to this right now and I'm curious, okay, it's next Monday. I'm walking into whatever job I have. How do I take some steps to falling in love with the work? What what does that look like? So, 
One thing that I love about even just Jesse, if you think about the different roles, mm-hmm. you've got a ticket taker, you've got concessions, you've got uh, Janitor. janitorial, yep. you've got ushers. If you look at those at surface level, those aren't jobs that most people would look at and be like, man, I can't wait to have that job. Yeah. But they've done something really special. If they've made a choice, and I believe it's a choice to show up a little bit differently. Jesse talks about whatever everybody else does, we do the exact opposite. Oh, that's and I great. think people would look at that kind of a role. And what most would do is they'd take your ticket, say, hey, thanks. You know, next. Yeah. But Jesse and them, you throw a banana costume on somebody. And you give them the opportunity to, to make somebody's day, to have them smile, to create an experience like that. It, it's a choice. So what's the next step? It's make a decision to enjoy or create a positive experience in your role, whatever that may be. And even if that's just a better experience for your customer or for your coworker, how could you make somebody smile today? If you're a barista, how can you just make somebody smile? Because you could just serve a cup of coffee, or you could actually make somebody's day. We all can do this, but it's a choice. Do you think that we don't understand it's a choice? Because I keep reading books. There seems to be a common thread in some of the books I'm reading about radical responsibility of going like, I own my decisions. Like I read a book the other day that said it's the to me mentality versus by me. Like some people act like life is happening to me. I'm like, it's to me, it's other people's fault. Some say, no, it's by me. I'm, cre- I'm going to create these, these moments. Do you feel like a lot of people don't know they have the choice? I was talking to a friend earlier today about some of this. And he's like, okay, but what about that single mom? You know, who's got three jobs. What about her? Because yeah, yeah. she probably doesn't feel like it's a choice right now, right? Yeah. I was at this event a few years ago and heard Andy Stanley speak. Andy's an incredible communicator, leadership expert written a lot of books, and this idea at the conference is around purpose. So he said, all right, so how do we do this? How do we find our purpose? And the world and culture that we live in, we're, we're often asking the kind of, what's in it for me? You know, yeah. before you buy a product, you're like, okay, what's in it for me? How is this going to make my life better? But when we have that filter in other parts of our life, it can actually lead us on some pretty destructive paths. So Andy talks about how these what's in it for me, the, the why am I here? These are the wrong questions to ask when we're trying to find our purpose. The question to ask, he says, is this, who am I here for? And what I love about that is it still requires us to show up and bring our best, our skills, our talents and abilities, but it puts us into a headspace and a posture of how you do that for the sake of somebody else to make somebody else's life better. So going back to that mom, single mom, she's got three jobs. She's probably not, you know, enjoying the journey right now. Yeah. It'd be very easy to be exhausted and to be in that headspace. And in fact, that is probably the default. But what if she actually starts to look at some of this with a little bit more gratitude? And I actually, to answer your question directly, I do feel like it's a choice. There are some real victims in the world, so I don't want to discredit that. But for most of us, I think that we can choose to respond with gratitude, whatever situation that we're we're up against. Because that mom, if she operates from a, who am I here for? She sees 
even those three jobs and that exhaustion as what a gift these three jobs are to be able to provide for my family. The purpose that she feels in, you know, making ends meet for her family, right? And Andy in that same talk says, what if your greatest contribution isn't something you do, but in someone you raise? Oh, that's good. That's good. Because the, the single moms I know, and I'm sure it's the same with you, are superheroes in that. You know, the things they do, the things they accomplish are massive. And if you, I think if you asked them, they would say, well, that, you know, I'm pouring into my kids. I'm pouring, you know, I'm pouring into my yeah. kids. That's what, because I always push back at that when, when parents especially will say, well, I'm not working on my goal or my dream. I'll say, well, tell me about your life. And I'll say, well, I have two twin four-year-olds and a two-year-old and a six-month-old. I'm like, what are you, what are you talking about? Like, you're raising humans. Like, <laughs> yeah, you're in yeah. charge of humans. That's a massive, you're the yes. CEO of people you made. Like, that's crazy. Yes. yes. Like, that's enough, that's enough dream. Um, it might not be the world's definition of it, but it feels like it's a it's a lot there. What would you say to somebody? Because I, I could see somebody saying, okay, Tim, I don't know a lot of people. I don't know where to start. I don't have a platform, but I but I want to make an impact. What are some ways that I could start making that impact? Like what would, you know, how do I begin in my own way to make that impact? In 1997, Becca Stevens opens a home in Nashville. Mm-hmm for five women to get off the streets, women who had been in lives of prostitution, drug addiction, have experienced more than I'll ever experience in my life. And Becca had this idea, what if we could help these women find healing and recovery? And that was the, the dream. That was it at the time. Yeah. Five people. Five, five people. Mm-hmm. And if you actually look at then what has happened since, she realized, man, these women while their recovery was going well from some of these uh, addictions and experiences that they had had, the, the, the recovery was going well, but they were having a hard time getting back into society because they couldn't make money. Because of their track record, their criminal records, they couldn't get jobs. So they started creating products, candles, soaps, lotions to sell to then fund, you know, further recovery for mm-hmm. them. And so if you look at Thistle Farms today, it's one of my favorite stories and businesses. They've now grown to this massive social enterprise that have impacted hundreds, if not thousands and thousands of women. And one of those women, Jennifer, who I've met several times uh, going up to Thistle Farms, she had come out of a life similar to what I had just described. And I asked her once, where would you be without Becca Stevens in your life? And she didn't hesitate. She said, I'd be dead. Without Becca, I'd be dead. And a lot of people measure their impact by number of lives reached. And it's almost, they're not successful until they've touched, impacted hundreds, if not thousands of lives. But Becca shows me another way to view success. And it's this, one life at a time. Let that be enough. Because whether you're a mom raising kids, what if the impact that you make in this world is your kids, right? What if the impact you make is that conversation you have with a neighbor or a friend? Sometimes success and impact looks like just that simple conversation or in an effort to help just one person. And so I just think that so much 
of our definition of success is being way too influenced by some of the stories that we see when reality is you've got people like Becca Stevens, people in the secret society that are just mm. showing us another path, one life at a time. I, I love that. And I know Jennifer and um, we've supported, we do a fundraiser for um, Thistle Farms at the end of every year uh, called 500 Lights Home, where we try to sell 500 candles and every year, it ends up selling a thousand candles. It's super fun. So yeah, I'm I'm with you. I think I think Becca Stevens is amazing. She's hilarious. The organization Hal is great. The CEO of Thistle Farms, yeah. the whole team. And as soon as you said Jennifer, I was like, oh, I know Jennifer. It's so <laughs> so fun. So Tim, I only have a couple more questions. One, who would you say? Okay, there's a million books out there. Who is this book for? I think it's for anybody who maybe is feeling pressured to do or chase or pursue a life or a career that maybe just doesn't feel right to you. You're in that spot where you're, you're feeling this pressure. You're an editor and they're telling you, no, 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 you need to be the manager of the editors. What if you just love being an editor? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what if that's amazing. <laughs> but I just think that's the way that we're, we just feel we have to do and chase and, and, and achieve more. And I just hope that this book can can put a little bit of comfort and and give people this ability to just sigh and be like, so I don't have to chase that thing anymore? Yeah. It's like, no, you don't. You Probably. don't. Or it just gives you a better headspace to step into as you do pursue whatever it is that you you want to pursue. Because the spotlight is not the enemy. But I think we need to realize that every role matters. Every person matters. Mm. And I hope that this book gives language to people who maybe are living in that tension and feeling some of that right now in their lives. Oh, that's, a, that's a great answer. Second to last question, what are the four books you'd put on like your nonfiction, leadership, self-help, however you want to frame it, like Mount Rushmore? <sighs> and we ask this question every time. Um, I don't know why I said we as if there's like a thousand people working on this podcast, but um, I ask it every time. What would you say are like four of yours? And if that's too hard to ask or to answer, sometimes I'll say, what book have you given away more than any other book other than other than your own? Because sometimes four books at once is like, gee, because I'm surrounded by books. So if somebody asks me, I can just look at my shelves. But All right. I'm pulling up my digital shelves right now because I, I want to be reminded. Yeah. Um. All right. So my favorite book is A Million Miles in a Thousand Years by Donald Miller. Yep. Love that book. You liked it before you worked for him? Before. Okay. That's what got me okay. in. That's what I was, yeah, I was yeah. sold. You know, you don't work for him anymore. You don't have to be like, my second favorite book, <laughs> also a Donald Miller book. My third, this is going to surprise you. My third book, also a Donald Miller book. I so love, you liked I it really, before. Really loved it. it. It just started to change the way that I think about a lot of things. So I love that. Another book, which is one that I've read in the last six months, um, this guy, David Novak, he's the former CEO of Yum Brands. So that's the parent corporation for KFC, Taco Bell, Pizza Hut. Endorsed your book. Awesome. He did. Yeah. yeah it's on which the is cover. crazy. I love it. So David, this book is called Taking People With You, um, The Only Way to Make Big Things Happen. And he just, he built at Yum a culture of recognition where everyone counted. And so David, I mean, he's all about, hey, get behind the people you lead. Just that whole inverted pyramid where the CEO is at the bottom supporting everybody else. And that's a whole philosophy that, that he has in that book. I love that one. I'm going to say this, but you're probably going to omit it from the list. 
I can't tell you how much I love soundtracks. And if you would let me, <laughs> I would just go on a rant for a long time. Okay, let me just say something. Let me just say something about that book. We started talking about soundtracks in our company so often because for people to build winning teams, how you show up, the headspace that you operate from is so important. It changes everything. And we just start to believe these soundtracks and our behaviors are a result of those things that we think, right? Yep. And so I was writing this book and there's a message that I just kept feeling, which is you're late. You're late. Yeah. And, and I run it through all of your filters yep. and I just started to tell myself new soundtracks. Your book and how it has shaped me even identifying what broken soundtracks even are and then starting to write new ones that I can repeat to myself. I have used that exercise so often. I actually had a friend step into a new role uh, at, a, at a company who was about to lead this team. And right before he started, I actually had a page of soundtracks that I gave to him. I said, hey, oh, I'm just going to anticipate some of the thoughts that you're going to have. Yeah. And let me just go ahead and you know, write down some of these things. And I stole some of your soundtracks because that's what it's all about. Let's just yeah, accumulate totally, soundtracks totally. that we hear. Isn't it beautiful, all the work that I've left myself to do tomorrow, right? Yeah. <laughs> all these things that we talk about. Yeah, I need that because the list isn't done. You, We don't live in a done world. We haven't lived in a done world for 100 years. There's no, true. there's no, when you launch a book, you're never done that day. There's always yes. stuff tomorrow and you have to reframe it or you feel like you didn't get enough done. Okay, we're, we're throwing that one. That's official. That's on my list. Okay. It's number three. Number Do four. not try to edit this out. I won't. I'm I so won't. mad when I listen back. <laughs> um, and then I'm just going to go with the fourth one here. I know you said nonfiction, but I love The Alchemist. Oh, yeah, dude. It's great. Gosh, what a great book. Yeah. <laughs> I love that one so much. Um, I, I, I just, I, I'm a dreamer. I'm, yeah. I love how inspired I was reading that book, it just makes me want to go chase anything that I could ever dream of. But, but it's, what if the success you're looking for, what if the treasure is a little different than you had expected? So it's a beautiful story. People need to go read The Alchemist as well. That, those were fantastic answers. Last question, where can people find out more about you? Where can they get a book? Where, where can yeah. they get the book, I should say? So I did read the audiobook. So Audible, if you're an audiobook nice. listener. Um, but also secretsocietybook.com is is where people can go for all the things on me. And if I could just leave everybody with this thought, um, this has been a North Star for me as I was working on this book. And it's going to continue to be a North Star as I think about how I want to navigate my life and career. Albert Schweitzer said, I don't know what your destiny will be. Some of you will perhaps occupy remarkable positions. Perhaps some of you will become famous by your pens or as artists. But I know one thing, the only ones among you who will be really happy are those who have sought and found how to serve. That's great. That's great. That's a, I'm not even going to add to that. That's a final mic drop moment. Tim, I knew this would be fun and it certainly was. So thank you so much for joining me today. I can't wait for people to find out about your book. Man, thank you so much. I'd had so much fun as well. Awesome. We'll have to do lunch soon, buddy. I'm in. All right. See ya. Thank you for listening to my interview with Tim today. We'll put all the links in the show notes as always. And thank you for all the reviews. I really, 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 really appreciate it. It's always so encouraging when you guys take 
60 seconds, 90 seconds, whatever it is, and leave a little bit of feedback. It really helps me. It helps the team. And when I say team, I need you to think in your head, like there's a thousand people. Like we just, we have just like warehouses of people, just a huge staff. A lot of them have desks that are made out of marble. I was like, you know what? I just, I want you to have a marble desk. It's hard because a lot of them are stand-up desks and it's it's hard to get that much marble elevated um, into the air. And I think I just said marble because I've apparently got comic books on, on the mind. But it's encouraging to me when you leave a review. So thank you for doing that. Please make sure you subscribe, follow, or whatever it is the kids are saying these days. And thank you again for writing reviews. See you next week. And remember, all it takes is a goal. Thanks for listening. To learn more about the All It Takes is a Goal podcast and to get access to today's show notes and exclusive content from John Acuff, visit acuff.me slash podcast. Thanks again for joining us. Be sure to tune in next week for another episode of the All It Takes is a Goal podcast.